Welcome to Sulphur Springs Baptist Church Sermon Audio. For more information, please visit our website at sulphurspringsbc.com. Appreciate the songs this morning. And uh, I do want to say, I don't know that I've said it uh, directly since I've been here, but uh, I want you to know that the altars here are always open. If a song is playing and you feel the need to come and pray and bring a care, a burden, or a praise unto the Lord, then uh, I want you to make. I want to make sure you know that you are fully welcome to come, uh, come and pray here in these altars anytime that uh, the Lord leads you to do so. Um, but I do thank God for His goodness, and I'm thankful that when we have a heart that is burdened and overwhelmed, we have a refuge to go to. And uh, we kind of were looking at that in Sunday school this morning. And I appreciate our lesson. You know, a lot of times in storms and adversity, our first, our, our heart's first inclination is to turn against God and begin to wonder why he's doing this and why he allows that when the correct response is to run to God. Don't look at him as your problem. Don't look at him as your adversary. Look at him as the one who you can get help from and learn to trust in his care and his timing and his provisions. Hold firmly to the promise that he's working all things for your good and his glory and uh, look to him for the, as a place to anchor your heart in a time of adversity rather than turn against him, which is often our first inclination because he is our place of help and our place of strength, and I'm thankful for that this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're in our, we'll continue in our study of the book of Galatians. We're in Galatians chapter number 3, and this morning we will be in verses 15 through 20. I realize you just sat down, but if you will, I'll ask you to stand as we read the word of the Lord this morning in honor and reference to his word. Beginning in verse number 15 of chapter 3, the Bible says this, Brethren, I speak after the manner of men. Though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Father, we want to come before you this morning and just lift our hearts to, towards you in adoration. God, we want to recognize your holiness. God, the fact that you are so much higher than I, and Lord, that you are not like us, Father, and God, we're thankful for that. We thank you for your, your sovereignty and your rule over this earth and over everything in it. God, we thank you for your creative power, Lord, that all things exist and continue because of you and in you, and uh, Lord, we ask now that as we study your word together, you would help us, God, to grow. Lord, I pray that you would allow me to preach in the power of the Spirit of God this morning, uh, Lord, the, that your word might speak to each heart individually. Father, that what we're studying today wouldn't go in one ear and out the other, but Lord, you would help it to begin to consume our mind, consume our thoughts, God, and it would become alive within our hearts, that it might generate a change in us, 
that we might be conformed more to the image of our dear Redeemer, Lord, having studied the Word together this morning. God, help us to be focused upon You, and God, give us a hunger for the truth, and Lord, I ask that You would help me to share just that, that, that which would be the truth. God, help me to speak so that what I say is truly what thus saith the Lord. God, help my thoughts this morning to... Lord, rid them of anything that would be my opinion and my viewpoint of things, but God, help everything I say to be what you would have said this morning. God, help me to remember that I represent you, that I speak on behalf of the kingdom of God this morning, and it is no light manner and no light task. And Father, I pray that you be worshipped and lifted up in all that's said and done. And Lord, if there's somebody here this morning that's lost, God, I pray for their salvation that they would see Christ as their only hope, they would recognize their sinfulness, God, and their lack of ability to do anything about their lost condition. God, help them to see themselves as one who has failed, one who is guilty. But Lord, help them to see that they can have righteousness and justification in Jesus Christ by faith. Lord, all these things we ask in your precious name. Amen. Thank you for standing this morning. Oftentimes when you're arguing with someone, I mean, I know we're... We're Christians, so we don't argue with anybody. But hypothetically, we'll say you have an argument with somebody, and you might use the phrase, well, I know what you're going to say, and then you begin to give your rebuttal to a counter-argument that you assume that that person is going to present to you. So you want to go ahead and refute them before they even get a chance to speak. It's a technique in our, in our system of arguing where we say, I know what you're going to say. Well, Paul, in essence, in these verses, in verses 15 through 20, is basically doing the same thing. Paul has been arguing, beginning back a few verses prior in chapter number 3, that uh, Abraham was not counted as righteous because he partook in circumcision. Abraham was counted righteous because he believed the promise of God that God gave him and Therefore, God imputed or accredited righteousness to his account because of his faith. Christ did not, or Abraham did not have righteousness. Abraham did not have a good standing with God because of his good actions, because of his honorary conduct. Abraham was made righteous because of faith. And the counter-argument that Paul predicted, the Judaizers, that remember they're the ones that had caused this ruffle, if you will, in the Galatian church that Paul is having to write to uh, overcome. And those are the individuals who came and teaching this false doctrine. And Paul assumed that they might come up with the argument, well, that occurred before the law was given. So the Judaizers may have said, Paul, you're probably right that Abraham was justified and Abraham was made right by faith. But that occurred before the law was given. Even according to our text, the law was given some 430 years after Abraham was made righteous. So the Judaizers' arguments would have been, Paul, that may have been true, but things change. And now that the law has been given, we must adhere to the law to be saved, to have justification, which again is that not guilty standing before God. According to them, righteousness may have been by faith, but it no longer is. But Paul is going to make it clear in our verses that the law did not change the fact that salvation is by faith. Receiving the blessings of God has always been and always will be by faith. So the question this morning is, did the law, did the law actually change the fact that 
the just shall live by faith. You remember in verses 6 through 9, especially Paul's arguments was based on Abraham and how he attained righteousness. Verse 6 says, Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So if the Judaizers were to say, yeah, that, that's right, and Abraham was justified like that, but that was before the law was given. The law changed things. Well, did it? Did the law make it to where we're no longer justified by faith? We are justified by the works of the law. Well, as we've been studying, and as we'll find in the text, it most certainly did not change things. In that we are still justified or made righteous by faith. You know, it can be hard to understand the function of the law and the value of it while not letting it diminish the fact that salvation is only by grace through faith. Well, the text this morning will help us understand the law, its function, its value, its purpose, while not missing how we truly are made right in the sight of God. So look with me this morning back at verse number 15 where we began our reading and we'll see that the law didn't change things because God's promise was established before the law. In verse number 15, Paul is going to give an earthly example, an earthly illustration to, to get a picture, to get something in our mind to help us to understand the text as we move forward. He says, Brethren, I speak after the manner of men. Though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. So Paul wants you to think about this earthly illustration, this earthly example. Where, and that's why he says, I speak after the manner of men. So he's just saying, in the earthly sense, between two human individuals, he says, if they make a covenant, and a covenant just means a set agreement. Two parties come to an agreement on something. And then the word confirmed means it is, it is ratified. They, the two parties agree, and it is made active. It is made a valid covenant between two people. He says, if that takes place even between two earthly individuals, then at that point no man will disannulleth, which means to reject it or means to do away with it or deny it or quit respecting it. And no one's going to add to it. So once this covenant between two individuals is confirmed, made actual, he says it's not going to be changed. And that's between two earthly individuals. So with that in mind, he proceeds. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, that is, God did not tell Abraham, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. God, if you knowledge of the Old Testament, if you recall that, God made promises to Abraham. And the promises were numerous, and you'll find those promises in places like Genesis 12.3, Genesis 12.7. Genesis 13, 15, Genesis 13, 16, and there is many other places where those promises to Abraham are mentioned. And those promises included things like a blessing on all those who would bless Abraham, a curse upon all those who cursed Abraham. God through Abraham promised that all the families through Abraham's seed would be blessed. And he promised that Abraham would be given a, a land that would be his and would be his people's. Abraham's seed would be more numerous than the dust of the earth. And similarly, God promised that Abraham would have a seed that you, if you could number the stars, then you could maybe number Abraham's seed. He would have a seed that would be in greater number than 
the stars. These are the promises that God gave Abraham. A foundation that, covered, that propelled a lot of the Old Testament. And what Paul is saying is, is he's using this argument that when God gave those promises, he did not say, Abraham, to your seeds, I will give these things. God said, Abraham, to thy seed. So ultimately, while God spoke of a literal people that he would bring about through the person of Abraham, what Paul was saying, that God had in mind something more as he gave those promises. God had a singular person in mind as he gave those promises. Ultimately, God was promising the world a Savior who would come, and he would come through the seed of Abraham. And this prom these promises that God gave that pointed to one person, the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, then those promises that pointed to him came long before the law ever existed. God gave his promise that he would send one into the world long before Moses brought the Ten Commandments and the other aspects of the law to the people of Israel. All along, from the very beginning, a lot of people, we associate the Old Testament, the law, people, uh, maybe you've even heard people say that people were saved, people were justified by keeping the law, by adhering to the things God had given. But God's salvation has always been by faith. And it's a beautiful thing when you look at the Word of God and realize from the very beginning, from Genesis to the end, it all points to Christ Jesus. It all points our focus and our attention unto Him. From the very beginning, God spoke of one He would send, of one that would come. And then as the New Testament opens, that person comes into the world. The seed that God had promised was here. And now you and I have it that He has given His life and resurrected and ascended back to heaven, we look back at Him and at His coming. It's always been by faith. It's always been about Jesus Christ. As Revelation says, Jesus was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ was not a last-minute plan B from God. God's salvation has always been one of faith. God has always, always been God's plan to send Jesus Christ into the world. But then as Paul proceeds here in writing in verse number 17, he says, And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Experts go back and forth as to the 430 years it's referenced. The answer I saw, the explanation I saw that time more than any other is that it's referring to the time that God reaffirmed his covenant with Jacob until the time that Israel was delivered from Egypt. So it was 430 plus a few years. That, so God gave the promises to Abraham and some 430 years later, God gave the law to Moses. And with verse number 15 in mind, we understand that God's promise was not canceled by the law. It wasn't that God gave this promise and then that when the law was given, God's promise was done away with, that God's promise was no longer active, was no longer true. The law came 430 
30 years after, and it cannot disannul. Remember, it cannot reject. It cannot override the promise that God gave. God's promise will not be made of none effect. That's why he says in verse 18, If the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise. So if now we receive the inheritance, the blessing of God, that is salvation through the law, then it's no longer of promise. And that cannot be because God gave it to Abraham by promise. God didn't, or Abraham didn't earn the, the promises that God had given him. God just gave Abraham his word. So if God was to go back and say, well, now you will receive the inheritance by the law, then he has changed his original covenant. And as the text is explaining to us, that is not going to happen. The beautiful thing about this covenant, these promises that God gave of salvation and by faith, is that this covenant was between one party. You see, most covenants were involved two parties. Making sense? If there's a set agreement, you have two parties that come together. They agree on the terms, whatever that covenant is in reference to, and they, they agree to their terms. It's two parties. The law is a good example. The law was a two-party contract. The law was a two-party covenant. God gave his word to his people that he would protect them. He would be their God that they would dwell in their land. God gave them, that was his side of the covenant. That was his side of the contract. With the law, though, Israel had their side. They had to keep, their co- they had to keep the law. They agreed that they would honor God, that they would obey his word. It was a two-party contract. That's why judgment fell on the people of Israel, because they didn't keep their end of the deal. They didn't keep their end of the bargain. They failed in this covenant. The Abrahamic covenant, as one commentary said, was a one-party contract. In other words, what that means is God's promise of sending Jesus Christ into the world is unconditional. God didn't say, if you will do this and this and this, then I'll send my son. And that's why this, this covenant, God's promises are so beautiful. Because it's not about what we do and what we don't do. God said, I'll send my son. God gave the promise, and God will stand by his promise. God has stood by his promise. Because you realize if it was up to us and something that we needed to do and so that we needed to keep our end of the contract, I can assure you of this, we would have failed. And the thing about these contracts is these covenants, if one person breaks the covenant, as Dr. David Jeremiah explains, the other is no longer obliged to keep his or her part of the agreement. So if God gave the agreement, if God in his covenant said, I will send my son, I will send a seed into the world who will be the Savior, who will be the Redeemer, and then we failed our end of the contract, God is no longer obliged, God is no longer required based on this covenant to keep his end of the deal. He no longer is required to send Christ if this is a two-party contract. And as one person said, that was the weakness of the law. It called for obedience from those who did not have the power to give it. But listen, this was the strength of the promise. Everything depended on God and nothing on man. God didn't say, when God gave those promises to Abraham, He didn't say, Abraham, if you'll do this, then 
Everyone who blesses you will be blessed. And if you do this, Abraham, everyone who curses you will be cursed. God didn't say, Abraham, if you will stay away from this and stay away from that, then the whole earth will be blessed by your seed. God simply just gave the promise unconditionally. It didn't matter. And that's probably the most beautiful aspect of this contract. Because it was all based upon God. In other words, as Warren Wiersbe said, when you read God's covenant with Abraham, you find no ifs in his words. Nothing was conditional. All was of grace. Abraham didn't deserve it, but God in his goodness, there's where you see the goodness and the, the, the mercy, the kindness of God, that Abraham didn't deserve any of that. Certainly we as human beings did not deserve his son, but God gave the unconditional promise that he would send him into the world. If God sending, his, sending the Savior depended on us in any way, we would miss out on the blessing because we would fail God and we would fail our end of the covenant. So God made the promise without any conditions on our behalf. And God will do what he says he will do. God made a promise to Abraham and God in his person will not fail his promise. We as, a lot of, we as people a lot of times, even when we don't mean to, we might fail to keep a promise, but God will not. It would go against his nature. It would be against who he is to fail his promise. And he promised that he would send the Redeemer into the world. And he promised it long before the law was given. So the law did not change his promise. In other words, the law did not take the place of faith. Finally, in verses 19 through 20, we see that God's promise of justification by faith of a Savior that He would send into the world is superior to the law. So a very valid question comes up that Paul addresses in verse number 19. What's the point of the law? Why was it given if it was never meant to justify us? Why was it given if we cannot be perfect through it? What's the point? Paul says it was added because of transgressions. The law was added because it provided a means of temporary, temporarily dealing with sin. It taught us about the holiness of God, the expectations of God. It was a tool used to reveal our sinfulness to us because it showed us how much we failed and how much that we did not meet up to the expectations of God. We can never keep the law, so it constantly reminded us of the fact that we trespassed against Him. It was a, a tool used to help us to see our sinfulness. It was brought to pass because of transgressions. And it was in place until the seed should come to whom the promise was made. So the law was active, and the law was in place until... God sent His Son into the world. But then he makes a reference back to the law. He says, It, referring to the law at the end of verse number 19, was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. You see, the covenant of the law needed... A mediator. A mediator was, is a go-between. A mediator in, was in place to help bring peace between two, two parties. 
As Warren Wiersbe explains, a mediator stands between two parties and helps them to agree. And that's, the law needed this. That's what Moses was. Moses was a mediator of the law. Moses was a representative of God as he brought the word, the law to the people. And he was a representative of the people before God. He was the go-between. Moses was that person. Well then, verse number 20, it speaks to you and I again about the superiority of God's promise, of God's plan of salvation by, just, or by faith and by faith alone, because he says a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. You see, the promise of God did not need a mediator. God just simply gave his word and that's it. It was not a matter of two parties agreeing. It was not a matter of two parties keeping up their end of the deal it was not about two parties agreeing on the terms. God just made the promise to himself, and God will not drop the ball in keeping his promise. God will keep his word, and his word is that he would send a seed into the world and that you and I could be saved through that seed. Being that God is holy, he's not like us. Where you and I might break promises, whether intentionally or unintentionally, he will not. Long before the law was given to Moses, God promised a Savior to Abraham. God promised that through his seed, a Savior would come into the world. He promised that justification would be by faith. Remember earlier in Galatians, Paul wrote that God preached that the heathen should be justified through faith when he told Abraham, and these shall all the nations be blessed. Nothing could change God's unconditional promise. The law did not cancel out that promise. You cannot be justified by the law. So don't look to the law this morning. Don't look to the principle which many have developed from it, which is that you can earn your salvation. Look to God's promise. Rest confidently in it. Because God will forever stand by his promise. If you will, I ask you to stand with me this morning. Mark and Miss Tamara, if you don't mind to come around as we have a offer a time of response this morning. If you feel the need to come, I would encourage you to do so. If God has dealt with your heart in some way that you need to respond in this moment, then please be obedient to him. I want you to rest confidently this morning in the fact that God's salvation is by faith. The law was never meant to be our means of being right with God. It can't be. We can't keep it perfectly. God has told us from the very beginning it would be by faith. If you've never put your faith in Him this morning, Understand that's the only place you have hope is in this one that God promised would come that he sent some 2,000 years ago who lived perfect life and died on the cross for you. It's the only way you can be made right with God. As Mark comes around and leads us this morning, if you need to respond to him, I challenge you and encourage you to do so. Thank you for listening. Please remember to drop a rating and subscribe to get our latest audio.